The Neurotransmission podcast series is created by Novartis Pharma AG to help raise awareness and understanding in the community of neurological conditions. The views expressed in this episode and the podcast series are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of Novartis Pharma AG. Please visit www.novartis.com and then find our focus and choose neuroscience for more information. Welcome back to another episode of Neurotransmissions with me, Ellen Tutton. This episode will be covering shared care and decision making. And I am really kind of privileged today to not just be joined by one guest, but two. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Colleen Harris. Um, She is a nurse coordinator, nurse practitioner of the University of Calgary MS Clinic, where she's been involved with multidiscipline care much of her nursing career. Colleen was also involved in the creation of the International Organization of MS Nurses and is one of the past presidents of this organization and I've also got joined with me who is actually a little bit closer not in another country but in the same room as me and my husband Nick so again in a previous episode I might have introduced myself as Ellen Marshall but I am officially an Ellen Tutton now taking on his surname we've been together now for seven nearly seven years and we got married this October and he has been a part of my MS journey from the very beginning first of all just want to hand over quickly to you Colleen just to if there's anything I missed out in my introduction there, if there's anything you wanted to add or say, and then I'll hand over to Nick briefly just so he can say hello. Thank you very much, Ellen. It's a pleasure to be with both you and Nick this morning. I think you've captured what I am all about. I've been involved in MS care for most of my career. Um, and I have, I love it. People ask me why I stay. It's a very rewarding field. And there's been so many wonderful changes that have happened throughout my career journey. So it's great to be able to come and meet with you today and share. And of course, it's morning there. So it's currently just gone half past four where we are. So there's quite a big time difference. So thank you very much for for joining. I hope it's not too early for your neck of the woods. And as mentioned, not so far away, I have Nick with me. And Nick, do you just want to say hello? Hello. Nice to see you. (laughs) So Nick and I, as I said, we have been together for some some time now and we thought it'd be really nice to have some different perspectives on this episode. So obviously your expertise there, Colleen, with all the work that you've done within the MS community over the last few years and also to have Nick, who is not so used to doing things like this or not so used to MS in general along with us today because it gives a different perspective of what it's like to go through shared decision making and, and shared care within an MS kind of setting for an MS patient. So just to kind of get us started, I just wanted to give another overview just of my diagnosis. So I was diagnosed in 2015 and I think what was quite unique about my diagnosis is that I know you shouldn't Google your symptoms, but I had a good inkling before my actual diagnosis that it was MS. So I felt like I was very prepared for my diagnosis. And I felt in turn that helped me prepare Nick and my family members and those around me. And I perhaps went one step further and and took it upon myself to look into treatments before I'd even got my diagnosis. So when I walked into that room for that initial sort of diagnosis, I 
actually turned it around into an appointment about my treatment options rather than having to wait another month or so. And I was very, very proactive in that. And I think you kind of vouch for that, Nick, that I was a bit of a ball in a china shop maybe at the time. <laughs> um, well, kind of. I mean, I think everybody's different at the end of the day. And I think a big part of it is is trusting your instincts. And, you know, you've got to take on board all the information you're given. You've done all your research and you had a good idea of what you wanted to do and how you wanted to take it on. And it was just about, I don't know, maybe bouncing a few things off the consultants and, and me and going ahead with what you, you kind of already had a good idea of what you wanted to do. So it was just, yeah, I'd say trusting your instincts was the main thing yeah, definitely. I think that was a huge part of it, that being prepared and ready for that appointment really enabled me and, and you to go in mm. fully prepared for what we our expectations were, what we wanted to get out of that appointment. Now, Colleen, you must have sat in diagnosis appointments for hundreds, if not thousands of patients over the years. I'm guessing that our experiences will differ quite a lot from, from other people and what well, my experiences might not be the, the norm necessarily. So would you be able to kind of talk about some of the experiences that you might have had with diagnosis and, and what typically you would see during that kind of first meeting with the MS nurse? So you're quite right. There's a vast array of different responses to a new diagnosis of MS. We have the very shocked and concerned patient who either didn't have the knowledge to do background research themselves. They've received information from perhaps a primary care physician, which is not necessarily the complete information. And that session, we spend a lot of time talking generally about the MS, making it not a, a diagnosis of doom and gloom, but a diagnosis, particularly nowadays, of hope and moving forward and wellness. And it would take on a different structure as opposed to you who came in and have done a lot of the work for us in that you've researched You've evaluated your own feelings about MS, about MS treatment. You may have a clearer direction of how you would like to go as far as your MS treatment journey. The expert patient is wonderful, but we still have a role as healthcare professionals to listen and to make sure that we clarify any misinformation because I know you're aware, Ellen, there's many, many different websites out there of different quality. Oh, yes. <laughs> many different chat rooms of different quality and type and structure. So it's up to the care provider, the MS nurse, to sit down there and be open on the first session and try and determine what point that individual with MS is at at that point in time, and then gear our education and support accordingly. And that must be a really unique skill that you have because you know you can't treat every person coming in the same. And Nick and I have had this conversation numerous times that had the shoe been on the other foot and you know God forbid if it was Nick walking in there with a diagnosis, I mean I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I think you would have reacted quite differently. What would your approach have been, Nick? Well you're somebody that will dive in head first with research and that sort of thing. And that's absolutely something that you should do but I probably wouldn't do it as in depth as what you would do it <laughs> I'd probably take on board what the consultants and medical staff and that everything they would say I would go 100% with them rather than you've gone with your instincts yeah like, it does you know, make so. a bit of a difference doesn't it I, I think 
how I would have reacted is completely different to to how you yeah. would have. And I think my initial concern would have been that you would have almost tried to have talked me out of my opinions in some mm. ways because I'm not the expert, but someone else was. But I think because you'd seen how much research I'd done and the conversations that we'd had prior, it didn't seem like it was as... I wasn't being defiant or I wasn't being uneducated or trying to be entitled with my opinions. No. It it came from quite an informed place because like you said, Colleen, I wasn't going on Facebook or social media forums. I was predominantly looking at trusted websites to find my information. So I think that really did make a lot of difference there. And Nick and I had to have some difficult conversations, which we weren't, hadn't even been together for a year when I was getting my diagnosis. And I had to really talk about what's our future plan with children because treatments can impact that. And we had to have these conversations early on, which were quite, I don't think they were difficult as such because they came from quite a clinical perspective. So you must see different sorts of caregivers coming in. So obviously Nick's my partner, and we had to have those challenging conversations. Are you seeing more people come in with their partners or are you seeing people come in with maybe a parent or even, you know, their child themselves coming in? What, what kind of dynamic do you typically come across and how would you deal with that? Generally, the individual with MS will come in with someone. It might be a partner. It could be a good friend who has a medical background. It could be a parent or two parents, and it can be all over the map. When someone comes in and they're all alone and don't choose to bring anyone in, we have a little bit as a MS nurse, I want to know why that is and I want to encourage them. And if it is they're not disclosing or if it is simply as one of my young patient said, well, if I bring my husband in, he'll dominate the conversation. So I want to wait and bring him in after I get my own questions answered for myself, which I sort of thought, yeah, that would be me too. But it does vary. And so you're not only checking knowledge level and questions of individual that's been impacted by the diagnosis, but the people around them, the people that care about them. And the questions can be quite different depending on the perspective. And to me, a newly diagnosed session, and I know it's the same with most of the nurses I work with, is a really rewarding nursing experience because you literally use all your skills and you really do have to be on the mark with your education. You have to be careful not to use jargon in explaining things. And you have to be careful that the person you're imparting knowledge to is understanding what you say. Um, they're not just information receptacles on the other end. They are people, they all have unique experiences, including the patient as well as the partner or parent. That must be like going back to that patient that you said that they didn't want her husband to come in because they could have been quite overpowering. I imagine you see that dynamic quite a lot with maybe more pediatric or, or slightly younger patients who are coming in with parents, not just with partners. That must be really difficult and overbearing. And what advice would you give to someone in that situation who hasn't really got a choice but to come in with a caregiver who have those sorts of opinions, but perhaps to, to kind of bring it back to the patient and bring it back to their kind of concerns and, and their thoughts and, and not make it about the caregiver in the room? How would you manage that? How would you go about that? And what advice would you give? 
So at the beginning of the session, we've taken courses on this. You want to set the ground rules for the information session in that the um, star is the patient who's got the diagnosis and the people around them are the co-stars, but everybody is important, but we direct our approach to the patient and then answer the questions as they evolve. The shared decision-making is directed definitely to the patient with the support of those around them to help with that decision-making. In younger people, you're quite right. If they come in with mom and dad, you see some dynamics, a bit of defiance there. You know, this is my diagnosis. I'm not ready to start drug. Quit you know, sort of telling me what to do. And you have to let that play out, but they're quite right. And with mom and dad, and and you will find this out shortly, it is a devastating time. This is their child. They want to care for them. They want to have control. But in an emerging young adult, they have other goals for their life at that time. So it's an interesting time and it requires patience and sometimes it requires follow-up sessions and the permission for that younger adult or almost adult to have one-on-one time with the um, nurse educator and consultant on their own. So, I mean, I was very lucky in the sense that, see, Nick's not that kind of person and I I haven't kind of had that issue. But, I mean, I know I was 27 when I got my diagnosis and the thought of my parents being in consultation with me, I couldn't have dealt with it. And and I, I feel much more comfortable speaking to a podcast that could be listening to, well, be listened by God knows how many people than to have that conversation with my parents. It's quite a difficult thing to have. And especially, like you said, they've got a slightly different investment in you because you're their child, you're their baby. There's a protective element on it. And, and sometimes that can make things difficult with your kind of process. So I think my advice to anyone newly diagnosed is to, to try and figure it out on your own before you bring other people into it. conversation sometimes if you feel like they could have too much of a say either way. Now, I was very fortunate in a, in a roundabout way. It's a bit of a weird thing to say it like this, but I was quite fortunate that Nick had some knowledge of MS before. And I don't know if you wanted just to explain your background knowledge of, of MS before we met. Yeah, I mean... I knew a little bit about it because uh, my mum had been diagnosed with MS uh, when I was very young. I think I probably was about eight or nine. So I kind of knew a little bit about it. I would still say I was quite naive to it because I I still didn't know as much about it as I should have done because my mother didn't have many symptoms really. And it sort of coincided with at the time when she fell ill, she also had a, a brain tumor at the same time. So she wasn't sure of what symptoms and repercussions were because of the operation when she had a brain tumor whether that was because ms related or the brain tumor so and since then she's kind of touch wood she's been okay she's a little bit slightly weaker down her right side but it hasn't stopped to doing anything at all so in that respect yes i did have experience but there are totally different symptoms to what you've experienced in terms of fatigue I, I was hit by the ball wasn't I yeah, <laughs> all the symptoms yeah, hit me exactly, at once yeah so kind of although I had experience it was still a bit of a shock sort of seeing you go through things that I hadn't seen my mother go through but then I think that was kind of a blessing for me in some ways because 
it's not like Nick had met me and he picked me out because I had MS or anything like that. I got diagnosed during quite early into our relationship and I had no idea I had MS when we, we first met. And mm. it was a new thing to me, you mentioning that your mum had MS. And I think that that in some ways did me a lot of favours because you were so chilled about it because you had seen your mum go through MS and be so okay and, you know, relapse free for, for the majority of your kind of knowledge of her having MS. Yeah. So for me, that really paid in my favour. And I think that helped in those appointments because you weren't expecting all doom and gloom. It was quite a, okay, this is bad, but it's not the end yeah, of the world. Exactly, yeah. In my eyes, I like again, it, I, perhaps a little bit naive as well. It, I don't want to say it wasn't as bad <laughs> as it, it could be, but like, because my mum didn't have as many symptoms and carried on a normal life, if you like, I kind of, maybe I wasn't as worried as I could stroke should have been <laughs> but um as I say they were totally different that just goes to show how it varies from person to person as well because as I say it's totally yeah. different for you and I think that really helped as well because going into the my appointments I I've never seen Nick as my caregiver in that sense because he's never for being a caregiver to his mum as well. So his experiences with MS, he wasn't, she didn't need someone looking after her or, or having that person there. So we went into it as equals. We went into it, I'm not saying a caregiver and a, and a person living with MS aren't equals, but we went into it as a team. And that's the right words. We went into it as a team and we went in, into it together. And we were both supporting each other in a, in a weird, yeah. weird way. We were both learning from each other. And that was a really positive experience to go through. And I mean, dare I say it, it's probably built a really solid foundation for our relationship. And I'd say that we are, you know, in a really good place because we had hurdles quite early on and because of how we dealt with it together. And and I don't ever feel like I would see you as, as my caregiver. I mean, we don't know what the future holds, but something could happen to Nick tomorrow and it could be the other way around. Yeah. So you just don't know and we can't treat life like that. So just going on on that point as well, have you had many people coming in? Um, what, what advice would you give to someone who is is coming in with a really negative view of what MS is? How would you kind of disable that? Because there's some really bad connotations around MS. And I was lucky I wasn't in that bubble of it, <laughs> but they, they can be in that worry and the anxiety is just heightened so much when that other person's worried and can only see negativity. So what would be your, you said earlier about giving hope, your diagnosis of hope and, and stuff going forward. And I completely agree with that. So how would you describe that conversation? So I think if a couple comes in with negative feelings about the diagnosis, and this happens at times, both feeling worried about different things. And you can tell right from the opening conversation and by simply asking, tell me what you know about your diagnosis right now and what does that mean to you? And that will sort of drive the rest of the conversation. Expert patient like you, there's no point going over all of the little idiosyncrasies of the disease what we think causes it, what the treatments are, what the symptoms are, but some don't come in as well informed and they've only read the negative and they think life as they've known it and no one in the future is going to dramatically change. So rather than get into all the technical issues right off the bat about the disease process and the medications, we simply talk about what they know. 
And you can sort of start off by correcting all of that very negative misinformation right at the beginning so they're in a better place to listen to the good parts, the important parts of MS, the management, the wellness-based activities, the medications, the um, definite, you can go ahead and plan life as you have planned it. Let's see how we can adapt to it. Sometimes that first session, they're not ready to get past negativity. So you just may have to sit with them and let them get it all out and then go home. And they often might do their own research like someone like you had already done. And then they can come back either to the clinic or we can talk on the phone. So you mentioned change there. And I think that's something that we don't avoid the conversation about changes within my MS. We've never really discussed it because I think we are quite, let's just take things as they come. There's no point in worrying twice about something that may or may not happen. I could have spent the last seven years or six or seven years worrying about what could have happened with my MS just to remain relapse free. So I'm glad that, that that stress and anxiety and worry hasn't been kind of quite a dominant factor in our, our relationship. But that must be quite a hard thing for people to adjust to, you know, someone coming in who might have a few symptoms to potentially failing on treatments to maybe, you know, going from relapsing remitting to secondary progressive or just things in general changing and and that relationship and dynamic between that caregiver and not just the caregiver, but the healthcare professional as well. Everything just changes in, in those moments and those kind of milestones throughout someone's journey with MS. Have you seen lots of changes in dynamics of relationships, whether it be partner or parent or friend relationships when those scenario happens? And, and how is that typically kind of received by the person living with MS? Do they find that quite difficult or does it happen so kind of holistically that they don't really notice the change themselves? Well, certainly change in relationships with parents we will see after the parents become educated on the disease. They will, and the young adult is out on their own. You can see that period where everybody sort of grows up with MS and the parents can start disengaging. You know, if it's an adult, they can't phone the clinic and express their worries about their child and have us talk to them because they're an adult now and um, they have their privacy. And it's kind of a neat experience to see a young adult you know, become their own person, have mom and dad in the background, appreciate them in the background, but take charge of their disease and treatment. With couples, it's a little bit different. I think initially their unaffected member of the couple may be worried about things the individual with MS isn't worried about long-term income security. Can my partner continue to work and contribute to household finances? What's that going to look like in the future? Where the individual impacted with MS is focusing on relapse-free, disease-free. What am I going to do to make myself well? That is where they're invested and there's nothing wrong with that. That's probably the right sort of uh, dichotomy of what people should be worried about in a relationship. But then you see them come together as they both start thinking about what the other member of the partnership is thinking about. That takes a little bit of time. And that's why the relationship with a consistent care provider team 
is so important because we can see that, watch them take that sort of those steps towards acceptance, understanding, and taking care of the MS in the relationship. And others may not. They may not, the more unsuccessful partnerships, which may be unsuccessful anyway, regardless of whether MS most likely would have been unsuccessful anyway, regardless of whether MS had entered the picture. You know, a good relationship stays a good relationship. And with help, we can help people over the hurdles and it's it just becomes, eh, you know, it's just part of our life together. We'll deal with things. I couldn't agree with you more what you said about, you know, relationships, they'll either work or they won't. I think, you know, something as big as MS, in some ways, I'm lucky I had my diagnosis early because I saw what kind of human Nick was. And I don't think I would have... If he'd walked out the door when I got diagnosed, then that would have been on him, not on me. And having that outlook really, really helped me. But knowing that and knowing that he did everything in his power to kind of take it on alongside me just made me just, you know, know that this was the guy that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And that was quite a nice thing to have early on in our relationship. Nick, sorry to put you on the spot of this one a little bit, perhaps, but have you ever felt worried or concerned about the future with my MS? Has that even been a factor that's crossed your mind or even other people's opinions in your friendship group or, or anything like that? Has that ever kind of weighed heavy on you? You're in a different dynamic in a relationship to what your friends are. So yeah. has that ever caused any like issues or problems or just looking into the future? How yeah. do you feel about that? Not really cause any issues or anything. I would say like it's very difficult to explain to friends, you know, how it impacts you and how difficult it is because it's an invisible disease. Unless it's a visual thing, it's very difficult to explain to somebody because they just don't get it. And unless you're going through it yourself, it seems to be quite a hard thing for people to understand. And that that is quite a difficult thing to get that message across to people. Yeah, I think because one day they might see that I'm fine and they might see on my social media that I'm out drinking with the girls or, or doing something really normal and then Nick might be making an excuse for me not coming to an event and it's nothing personal on there, but half the time. Sometimes we do use it as a bit of an excuse, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> Why not, eh? I can also remember when you were struggling at times to walk, you had a bit of a limp and yeah. then sort of a few days later you was able to go to CrossFit. Or, yeah like for people to understand that it's, it's quite difficult for them to get their head around that it's hard for me to understand it was hard yeah. for I think anyone to understand that one day I couldn't do it up my shoelace but then the next day I could chuck 50 kilograms above my head like <laughs> it's, it's not it's a bit of a weird a weird concept and I can appreciate that must be quite difficult but in terms of future though I don't think I mean, unless you've not told me, <laughs> this is where we could get the divorce lawyers <laughs> in pretty quickly. Um, there's no concerns that you've really ever expressed no, about the future. No, not really. I think it's just about adjusting. It's just about life changed a little bit, but it's, it is what it is. It's really. for everybody, won't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. There's different hurdles everyone goes through. The term caregiver is, for me personally, I, I kind of don't see it as that. I just see it as just being husband or boyfriend before that, you know, yeah. it's part Which of was the... a caregiver anyway, because <laughs> yeah. I'm so high maintenance. <laughs> you know, it's just part of the relationship. It was just that something else that we had in a relationship yeah. and we just dealt with it and it Definitely. is what it is. I think that's a really good thing. I mean, one thing that I did notice that I wasn't really offered much support coming into my diagnosis in terms of like groups and stuff that I could join. And I was quite disheartened by that. But for everything that I, I wasn't offered 
Nick wasn't offered, you know, multiple things as well. There were, there was not many resources out there, I think, for caregivers. Where would you direct people to, Colleen? Where where would you tell people to find information that's not just about MS, but supportive? Because luckily Nick had me to fall back on to ask questions and he knew that I was finding out the answers and that's made life really easy for both of us. But had I been, you know, more of an introvert perhaps... Nick could have taken on a whole burden on his shoulders and probably become quite like overwhelmed with that. So what advice would you give to a, a caregiver in that instance? Like where could they go for support and what should they be doing? Because they need to help themselves to help that person living with MS. I think I always start with the well-known charitable organizations such as the National MS Society, the um, MS Association. There are some very good, well-structured charitable organizations that can start you on your path to get the information that you need to get the help you need. There is so much out there and more plentiful with social media and chat groups and platforms and industry has their own groups for individuals impacted with MS and not necessarily on their drug, but they have some not so bad groups out there. We shouldn't turn away from the um, educational resources offered by our industry partners. The issue is quality assurance and getting to the right information that's still I find still a struggle, not only for me as a healthcare provider, but for individuals impacted by MS. It's just a big mess out there of information, and they want to get to the right information and not a site that will frighten them about their future, not a site that invariably will promote alternative and complementary therapies only, and here's how you buy them, and please go and buy them. So those are some of the challenges that are faced with imparting information. I think, you know, just to bring it back a little bit as well, we've, we've spoken about the expert patient, and, you know, I probably fall into that category somewhat with my experiences and my understanding of, of MS and, and how that's helped me. And I feel really strongly and quite passionately about shared decision making. However, I feel that there are less people out there who are like me and perhaps given different circumstances and, and factors of, you know, it could just be down to location. What people are offered, they just take as face value and think that's the best that they can get without doing their research and knowing that they're like just down the road, they could be offered a different treatment or a different service, even down to the more holistic things, you know, like physiotherapy and things like that, or dietitian or speech therapist, anything like that, that they might not have with the hospital that they're under, but they just don't have that knowledge to know that they could be able to receive that support and that help. So for me, that's, I think, a really strong point of being an expert patient is, is knowing my entitlement, what I, I can get to help support me and to help my MS be better. But I also really appreciate and value that healthcare professionals have you know, a wealth of education behind them and their opinions are are really valid and it should be a two-way conversation to get to that point of discussing treatments or kind of services that are available to them. But my concern is that there'll be a lot of patients that do just put up with what they're given and maybe 
they find themselves in a year or so's time thinking about a family and they're on a treatment that they hadn't considered when they took it a few years prior that might not work with that that lifestyle. So what would you say that the perfect balance is for an expert patient and someone who's coming in a bit new and, and the expectation of that healthcare professional? What, what would be the perfect balance? Because you don't want someone like me all the time who's probably a little bit too headstrong and knowing what I want because I could probably be quite annoying in appointments. But you also probably don't want someone who's the polar opposite who could find themselves a year or so down the line really struggling with their their treatment choices or or where they're at with their MS because they didn't have that knowledge to start off with. So what would you say is the ideal MS patient, as it were? Every patient is different. I think we have to have the ideal teaching um, and education session that is flexible. And I think as a nurse, we have to sort out a good way to figure out information deficits We have to even sort out whether the patient wants to make their own decision. Believe it or not, there still are individuals impacted with MS that want the professionals to direct them, that they find the concept of making a choice at that time to be just not something they're up to or want to do. Or nor do they trust their knowledge or their perception of their knowledge to make that decision. That's becoming less and less because, of course, of all the information that's at people's fingertips. And just the new sort of trend in our modern day society of making your own choices in life. And younger people are taught to be better decision makers. But if you're a little bit older or you're not from our culture, then that's a little bit more difficult. So there is no ideal patient because they can't be, but there is an ideal approach of finding out where that patient is in their decision-making process. I really like that idea that it is the approach. It's not the person necessarily because I I mean I get really passionate about it because I've seen quite a few people miss out on things that had they had the knowledge a few weeks or months before they wouldn't be in a situation that's causing them additional stress now but if they had to have that knowledge then yeah they would have been in a completely different situation which is could change their outlook on MS massively especially because it is quite different during those kind of initial diagnosis I can understand why someone would want someone to make the decisions for them because you've got 101 things going on in your head and to do research and to go through that process is just another thing added in into the mix there. One thing that I did just want to ask about as well is, is do you see many young carers? Do you see many, I'm thinking, you know, people that are in their teen years, maybe even younger coming in with the parent and the parent's got MS. How does that work? What kind of impact does that have on that that young person? Because I'm sure they're a different type of, of caregiver in some ways. They wouldn't be making decisions on treatments. They wouldn't be involved in that sense. So how would a younger carer be involved with a person living with MS and their kind of diagnosis and their kind of shared decision making? You know, that is a very unique situation. It's one where as a nurse, we have to do a little bit more thorough assessment as to what role that child is fulfilling in their parent's life. They may just be the only one that that individual has, or it just might be an sort of interested, advanced uh, child who wants to know 
more about what mom or dad are going through. Again, you have to assess their information level and you also have to be astute for any issues. Maybe that home needs a little bit more support. Why is a child coming in with an adult to an important appointment or they're helping the parent make the decision? And it can go either way. It is a You wonder about the burden of the diagnosis, but children are really, younger people sometimes can be more resilient with this information. They treat it at face value. Okay, how's that going to impact me? What do I need to do? But it is a unique situation. And again, as a care provider, you have to assess and make sure things are okay at home. And there isn't a reason that this individual with MS is so isolated they have nobody else? Or is this an inquisitive, supportive young person who wants to be involved in mom or dad's decision? Yeah, I think it's safe to say that every scenario is going to be so different, isn't it? Just like MS is so different within patient to patient, person to person living with MS. So is the caregiver experience. So is the resources and kind of help and support that someone might need from both ends of it. And it is is definitely, uh, you know, food for thought. And one thing that I'm really grateful for, actually, and, and Nick brought this up earlier and I don't know if you want to elaborate on it a bit, but having that empowerment within my health appointments has been something that's been really helpful for me. And I had an experience the other day that I didn't even think about, but Nick mentioned it earlier about one of my consultant appointments for pregnancy. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what you said now, but it just struck a chord that I'm using those skills yeah, well, Still they, they were kind of really pushing for something that... I didn't really you, want to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Since then, when you spoke to other professionals as well, they've kind of agreed with you. And I think it's important just to go with your instincts sometimes. Yeah. Um, a similar sort of process you've gone through in terms of deciding what treatment to go for. You kind of taken on board what all the information, but at the end of the day, you've had to make a decision. You've gone with your instinct and... I think that's really important. So important. And yeah, you really hit the nail on the head when you said that to me earlier. And I was a bit taken back by it because like, yeah, you're right. It wasn't, I could have quite easily have taken this consultant, top consultant's word for how she thinks my pregnancy and my birth plan should go. And actually when I had the confidence to speak to other healthcare professionals like my midwife and several different midwives I've seen since, they've all sort of agreed with my opinion on it and I've actually felt like okay no I don't have to do that and I can make informed decisions and they're not necessarily me just being over the top or being you know I'm not getting my way so I want to do this instead so it's quite nice to have that backup and reassurance so I mean I'd always say to people to maybe they've got a gut feeling or gut instinct and they're not getting the responses that they want it's not the answers they want but maybe the explanations that they want from their healthcare professional that they can always go and seek a second opinion potentially or they can have a conversation elsewhere to see whether you know what they're saying is is valid and I think especially for someone who's newly diagnosed is just to maybe take a step back sometimes and look at everything look at the bigger picture take a breath don't make any decisions in the moment reflect on it speak to the people they need to speak to get an informed decision and then move on from it and I think that would probably be my biggest advice and one of the most empowering things is to do the research and not just to trust one source whether that one source is your 
your healthcare professionals or an internet blog or somewhere else, you've got to have multiple bits of information to kind of come up with what's the right decision for you. Uh, Colleen, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to add, like a, a best bit of advice maybe for someone who's newly diagnosed with, with shared care decision making or shared decision making at all. Is there anything you wanted to add? Any kind of final thoughts on that? I just think what you have just said is absolutely the right way to go. I think I would be very concerned if someone jumped right away on a disease-modifying therapy with just one session with a healthcare provider. I think it's very important that they have the opportunity to go home to digest the information they've received and to seek out other sites, whether it's the National MS Society, whether it is a site provided by the medication that they may be thinking about starting, or even peer-to-peer support, it's important. The You need to have that good information, and it's important that you are a good detective and go to reliable sources and get it from multiple sources. And I think if you do that, you have more trust in the decision you made. You're more likely to adhere to um, your treatment plan than if someone had just told you that that was the right thing to do. And so even those who don't like to make decisions, I try to direct in some capacity to some decision-making process, whether it takes the involvement of their partner or their parents. I think you need to be an expert, move towards being an expert patient in MS. And we have to help people on that journey. Definitely. And I think, you know, Nick, have you got any final words from a caregiver's perspective about how it's been for you or? I would just say, listen to the person you're caring for, do your research, be patient, just try and put yourself in, in their shoes. And it's just about adjusting, I would say, just your life might change, but life still goes on. <laughs> that sounds really dramatic, but <laughs> nobody but does. Look at just, us. It's just about adjusting. <laughs> we, I would say, we we live a normal life. We probably live better than normal half exactly, the time. Yeah. One of Nick's first comments, he said, <laughs> which he was joking at the time. What did you say to the nurse when I first got diagnosed, Nick? Do we get free cinema tickets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we get free cinema tickets? But little did he know that he's actually gone to Glastonbury and some other festivals for free with me. So it has worked out in his favour as well. So I don't think he's really complaining about my diagnosis that much. (laughs) But we do have a really positive outlook on it. And I think, you know, that's half the battle sometimes is the positivity. And like you said at the beginning, I think you hit the nail on the head saying about it's not a diagnosis, it's not doom and gloom, it's about hope. And it's about, you know, ways forward and ways that as a team, it's not just a a partnership with the, the caregiver, but as a team with the healthcare professionals that you go through this together and everyone's best interests is for your health and your well-being to be the best it possibly can be and doing that without compromising who you are as a person and your lifestyle choices and just to try and have that sense of normality even though normality changes for everyone throughout life it's just having that sense of of control and and education around your your diagnosis and I think I feel much more happy and confident knowing the stuff I do know about my MS and feeling in control of it and feeling like if anything does come my way that's slightly negative we can take it on and 
we can deal with that. And I think that's such an important thing there. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you know you have a, a lovely rest of your day as well. Can't believe yours is starting and ours is getting to dinner time. But I mean, decision making, you could let us know what we can have for our dinner tonight because that's going to cause more <laughs> of an argument than what treatment we, we went for or not what I had. But yeah, I think it's been a really kind of insightful chat and, and thanks to you as well, Nick, for coming okay. along. Good luck to you both. It's been a pleasure. Take care, both of you. The Neurotransmissions podcast series is created by Novartis Pharma AG. 